Well, let me say Merry Christmas to all of you. It is the day that we celebrate a name. His name is Jesus, but you'll hear this name, Emmanuel, today more than any time of the year because it is the revelation that God became a man, God with us. He knew that we would never reach him. If we were to reach up to him, we couldn't reach him. So he came down to us so that he would be within our reach. I hope you were here last Sunday because we set up this entire concept of the series. It's called worship. We started last week with the wise men from the east, and they told King Herod a very simple truth. We have come to worship the newborn king of the Jews. Then we went back to the story of Abraham last week, being willing to sacrifice his only son Isaac. Why? It was his act of worship. The revelation of his identity requires a response. And you know what that is? It's worship. When you figure out who he is, you will fall down and worship him. The wise men, King Herod, Abraham, Isaac, on Mount Moriah, they all required a response. So why are you here in this worship center today? I know there's a lot of people that could be somewhere else. And on this cold, snowy, very dangerous road day, you chose to come to a worship center at the Nineveh Christian Church to do something, to worship Him, to do it as a community. But we need to understand what the word itself means to many, worship has become a tradition. It's just what we do on Sundays. Today, in this bad weather, with Christmas falling on a Sunday, it would be so, so very easy to just set it aside. Many churches aren't even having services today. It would be so easy to just let religious ritual replace the purpose of our assembly. We, like the wise men from the east, have come today to worship him. Abraham and Isaac were a preview of what God was going to do on Christmas and eventually on the cross itself. You did not withhold your son, your only son. So today on Christmas Day, we're going to deal with the concept of worship in a very practical sense. So how do I do it? How do we really legitimately worship in a way that is pleasing to God? Like the wise men in the Christmas story, like the shepherds in their field keeping watch over their flocks at night. And how do we guard our hearts against the idea that King Herod told the wise men that I want to worship him too? And Herods don't know that they're Herods. Because if Herods knew they were Herods, they would become wise men and not fake it. I'm counting on the fact that you're here today to worship. That you sincerely want to worship God in the right way. So today, let's see what that looks like. And today, I'm going to give you the most unusual parallel to describe the idea of worship. It won't, it'll be a woman's encounter with God but it won't be Mary, not in this example. But it will be a woman's encounter with God in which God will reveal to a woman what real worship looks like. Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. And the reason we call her a Samaritan woman is she isn't even given a name. It's not even recorded. And you need to understand something about the title Samaritan woman. From the Jewish perspective, and from ours too, she would be a Gentile. She's not even Jewish, not as, not as they would count their bloodline. So today, Jesus is going to give an, a, an example of a Samaritan woman from a town in Sychar. They meet each other at Jacob's well. Understand, Jacob is an ancestor of Jesus. In that encounter, we will see the reality of true worship. 
For this is what God seeks from each one of us today. And why would I focus on a no-name Gentile woman in Samaria today on Christmas? Listen carefully. You will never understand the Christmas Day shepherds and the Christmas Day angels until you understand worship. The revelation of his identity requires a response. You will never understand the angels singing in the heavens above these shepherds until you understand why were they singing? What was their song? It's worship. You will never understand why Mary and Joseph find themselves all alone in front of a feed trough in Bethlehem until you understand the word worship. The revelation of his identity requires a response from each of us today. Christmas is not just a history lesson. It is an opportunity to worship the one and only Son of God that has given us our present reality and a glorious hope of an eternal future. My main goal today is simple, to show you from Jesus himself how to worship him. Putting you and I alongside the wise men from the east, the shepherds in their fields who were watching over their flocks, so we don't fall into the trap that King Herod fell into. I want us to understand ourselves. I want us today to put ourselves next to Mary and Joseph, that we could see the revelation of his identity, to see the wonder of God. That's Christmas, real Christmas, not presents, not self-indulgence, and certainly not self-worship. Today's message will be my Christmas gift to all the Gentiles in the room. And pretty much that's all of us. You'll understand why I say that in a few minutes. Today I declare that I have come to worship him. And I want to do it in a way that is pleasing and acceptable to him. All other worship is man-made. And it will fall short. Jesus reveals to us in the Gospel of John the essence of true worship. So I'm going to ask you on this Christmas morning, are you ready to find out from Jesus himself what it would be to truly worship him? So let's fast forward some some 30 years past Bethlehem. And I want to worship him. The revelation of his identity is found in this scripture. Jesus encounters a no-name Gentile woman from Samaria. And it's interesting is this is the first recorded public revelation of his identity as Messiah. Y'all need to get this. This is the first time that he publicly tells somebody outside of his immediate circle that he is the Christ, and it's to a Samaritan woman. It's John, the Gospel of John 4, verse 4. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You, Jesus, are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink. In these verses, the scene has been set. Jesus has been traveling, he's tired, and it's lunchtime. His disciples go into town to get lunch, and he sits and rests by Jacob's well, his earthly ancestor. A Samaritan woman comes to the well for water, and Jesus will give her an encounter of a lifetime. You'll never know when he's going to do that to you. When he picks the time 
when he will give you an encounter. I pray that happens to some of you today. Jesus asked her to serve him. Don't miss it. He asked this woman to serve him by giving him a drink of water. It's a pretty simple request. Her response defines the prejudices and the customs of that day between Gentiles, Samaritans, and, and women in general. What, is, what she's about to hear is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we call it good news. What she's about to hear is the revelation of his true identity as the Messiah. And it will require from her a response. And I want you to notice how Jesus will describe that response. This is so big. Next verse, verse 10. <clears throat> Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. The revelation of his identity. If you only knew who I was, and if you only knew what it is that I have that I want to give you, why? Does she get it? In this point, do you think she gets it? In this encounter, not yet. All she can see is the dull reality of her day. All she can see in this scene so far is another trip to Jacob's well for water. Jesus is about to open her eyes to a new reality, one she has never seen before, even, the, even though she, like King Herod in the Christmas story, has heard of the coming Messiah. Now, this is important parallel. We're going to find out in a little while that she, has, and she knows that Messiah is coming. King Herod knew that Messiah was coming. But knowing about his coming doesn't in itself prove that you'll recognize him when he's in front of you. She has not yet prepared herself to worship him. What do you think she thinks of him so far? She meets him at the well, and he asks her to serve him, give him a drink. What do you think so far? Do you think she thinks he's a nut? He's offered her living water. Are you crazy? Should I run? Should I go back to town and get somebody? What does she think of him so far? Probably not much. Next verse, verse 11. But sir, you don't have a rope. Sir, you don't have a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Do you think she's thinking spiritual? No. And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? I want you to notice that she claims Jacob as her ancestor. Did you notice that? But the Jews refused to acknowledge the Samaritans as Abraham's children. So there's the battle and there's the prejudice. The Jews consider the Samaritans half-breeds. So they called them like Gentiles, your outsiders, but not Jesus. Listen, not Jesus. He's going to reveal the very thing that makes people legitimate children of Abraham. He, in this scene, is going to reveal the very thing that makes people the children of God. And it won't be about your genetic bloodline. And he wants them to stop fighting about bloodlines and genealogies and explain what is a legitimate child of God. I repeat, this message today is my Christmas present to the Gentiles in this room. Because once you see what Jesus is doing to this no-name Gentile Samaritan woman, you will understand that he wants to do the same thing to you. So let me read it again. I don't want you to miss any of this conversation it's so revealing. I'm going to read 11 and 12 again. But sir, you don't have a rope and you don't have a bucket. And this well's very deep. 
where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this whale? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and the animals enjoyed? You look like, from her perspective, she says, you look like a no-rope guy at a deep whale. And yet you offer me living water and you're a no-rope guy at a, at a deep whale. Who do you think you are anyway? Can you imagine in her mind what she's thinking about this guy? She's never met him before. Who do you think you are? Right now, I want you to do something. Use your imagination. I want you to imagine the look on her face when he offers her living water. It's like, yeah, whatever. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine the look on his face. Not her face, his face. Because he knows what's about to happen and he knows what he's about to do. I want to worship him. Today, the revelation of his identity will require a response, and here it comes, to a no-name Samaritan Gentile woman who has just been rejected. Who, she, her entire life, these people, they don't even, Jews don't even want to walk through Samaria. They're disgusted by them. And yet, this woman who's been rejected by the Jewish people has not been rejected by the Jewish Messiah. Not by God. Do you see your Christmas present yet? It's called eternal life. Let's go to verse 13. <clears throat> Next verse. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water, he's talking about Jacob's well, the reason she's there. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give, here it comes, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Did that get her? Is that all it's going to take? Did that get her? Did this bubbling spring of water resulting in eternal life comment win her over? Is that going to win her over? Oh, I'm going to bow down and worship you. No, that's not going to do it. Did the comment about never getting thirsty again make her fall down and worship him? No. Are both of those comments true? Yes. Is that how he won her over? No. I want to worship him. And I want you to see something today. I want you to see how he does it to her. Because how he does it to her is how he does it to people. The revelation of his true identity requires a response. And so does water require a response. Some of you are going to be shocked today by what you're about to see. But I ask you to stay with me. Pay attention. When Jesus reveals his true identity in a certain way, it requires a human response. Here it comes. I hope you're ready. Verse 15. Please, sir, the woman said, <clears throat> give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come to get water at this well anymore. And he looks at her and says, well, go and get your husband. Jesus said, go and get your husband. He just did it. I said, some of you are going to be shocked. He just did it. Did you catch it? The very thing that will cause her to worship him, he just did it. And I'm afraid as of this moment, still many of you, you don't even see it. He has explained to her that he has living water that makes you live forever. And that didn't work. And then he says to her, go and get your husband. And in this moment, in this event, in those words, he's going to cause this woman to come and worship him. How? What did that have to do with it? The very thing that will cause her to worship him just came out of his mouth. What? Go and get your husband. 
He did what? He is slowly but surely revealing his true identity to her. And you know what revealed his true identity? Listen, church. He knows. He knows everything. And when you know that he knows everything, you will worship him. He knows everything. He knows. Go and get your husband. Do you think the look on her face just changed when he said, go and get your husband? Not convinced yet? Listen to the next verse in her response to his very simple request. Go get your husband. Verse 17, I don't have a husband. The woman replied, and Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. What did he just say to her? Was that rude? Some of you, maybe your first response to well, that was rude. Or was that, was that the revelation of his true identity? And the revelation of his true identity was very simply, I know. I know everything about you. I know that you've been married five times and you're shacking up with the guy you're with right now. I know. What's the look on her face now? I want you to use your imagination. What's the look on her face now? And here's the biggest question today. What's the look on his face? When he looks at her and says, I know that you've had five husbands and you're living with a guy you're not married to now. What's the look on his face? If you see in this scene condemnation on his face, then you still don't know him yourself. What he offers her in this moment is not condemnation. He offers her the identity of himself. He offers her living water, but she's not getting it because she doesn't know that he knows everything. And when you know that he knows everything, you will worship him. If you see condemnation, you're going to miss the living water, and so will she. How to worship Him. Worshiping Him in His true identity brings living water. Jesus will reveal to this Gentile, no-name Samaritan woman the truth that we've all come here today to receive. How to legitimately worship Him. The stage is being set. He is slowly but surely revealing himself to her. And I can tell you this, after he tells her that he knows she's already got five husbands and she's living with some guy now she's not married to, do you think she's not listening? She's listening now. He's got her attention. Next verse, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Are you seeing it? So suddenly, because he tells her she's had five husbands, suddenly she brings up worship? Why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while Samaritans, we claim that's here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped? She's listening, and now she's seeking truth. And what word does she bring up in the conversation? Does Jesus bring up the word, or does she? She brings up the word worship. Tell me, why is it that you Jews insist on Jerusalem as a place of worship? She brings it up. Who brings up the worship in the story? Jesus or the woman? She did it, but why did she bring up the word? Jesus is revealing his identity. And his identity requires a response. Truth requires a response. And you know how he revealed truth? He knows. He knows what nobody else could know. 
So how did he do it? How did he turn her heart <coughs> toward worship? How did he do it? He revealed to her that she was a sinner, and it's not a secret. She calls him a prophet, which means that she knows that God knows. And when she knows that God knows, she brings up the word worship in a question. And then she asks two questions underneath of the word worship. Where and how? Where can we worship? <coughs> you Jews say we have to go to Jerusalem, but our people say we worship here on Mount Gerizim. Where and how? Where and how can we Gentiles worship God? This is our Christmas Day question. The Samaritans weren't allowed to worship at the Jerusalem temple in Jerusalem, so they worshiped at their own temple in Mount Gerizim. Now, you have to understand that for this story to make sense to you. The Samaritans were not allowed in the Jerusalem temple. The Jews had rejected them, but not the Jewish Messiah. Where and how? I want to worship him. And Jesus is going to answer her question, where and how? What could be better topic for a bunch of Gentiles on Christmas Day than to listen to Jesus say, where and how to worship him? Where can I worship God and how can I worship God? Next verse reveals it, verse 21. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Are you ready, church? Indeed, it's here now. The time is coming. No, it's here now. What? When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, <coughs> excuse me, for those who worship Him must, must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So let's deal with the first of the two questions, where and how. Let's deal with where. It doesn't matter anymore. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to go to the temple. That doesn't take away from corporate worship, what we do here today. It will, corporate worship will take place all over the earth, and it is taking place all over the earth today. But listen, you don't have to go to the Jerusalem temple. That's what he's telling her. So where? Everywhere. But how? It matters a lot. You will need to do it his way and only his way. Jesus makes it clear to her, and he makes it clear to us today that where doesn't matter. You can do it anywhere. In fact, you should worship him everywhere. But how? Let me repeat verse 23. The time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. Where doesn't matter, but how matters. The time has now come. And Jesus is revealing this to a Samaritan woman, a Gentile woman. The time has now come to worship the Father in spirit and truth. And this is the essence of true worship. We can't do it our way anymore. Church, you're listening? We can't do it our way. The time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. True worshipers must do it God's way. And God's way is spirit and truth. So let's start with the spirit. What does it mean? To worship God in spirit. What does it mean? You and I can... <coughs> you and I can't truly worship God. We will never be able to truly worship God 
without the Spirit of God coming into us. Let's just start there. It's impossible. The Spirit is the revelation of the identity and the purpose of God. That bubbling, living water that wells up into eternal life that Jesus promised this woman at the well, what do you think that is? Do you think that's like real special water? It's the Spirit. Jesus explains it three chapters later in the Gospel of John, chapter 7. Let me read it. John 7, 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. He's actually saying almost the same thing he's telling the Samaritan woman. If you're thirsty, come and I'll give you a drink. For the scriptures declare, now he's going to make it spiritual. Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So I'm telling you today, church, you will never be able to truly worship God apart from the Holy Spirit. Why? The other spirit is too powerful. And there are two spirits. It is the spirit of Christ that reveals his identity and purpose to us so that we can worship him. You will never receive the Holy Spirit, listen church, until you are born again. Anybody listen? You will never receive the Holy Spirit until you are born again. You must believe in him as Messiah, the Son of God, to be born again. And you will never be born again until you accept the fact that you are dead in your sins and he knows. And that's why it worked for her. You are dead in your sins and he knows. He knows everything. Until you have this moment with him when he says to you, go and get your husband. And maybe it's not about, in your life, it's not about you've been married five times and you're shacking up with some guy now. In your life, it's just something else. But it's all the same. He knows that you're dead in your sins. And he knows. And when you know that he knows and that his goal is not to condemn you but to save you, being born again is the living water. And you will never be born again until you spiritually die to yourself. Do you remember Abraham and Isaac on the altar? This was Abraham's act of worship. Dying to himself. Being willing to give up Isaac, his son, was death to, his, to himself. It would take everything to kill his own son. And what does born again have to do with an altar? And what does born again have to do with worship? Romans 12. If you've been here very long, you know that I, I pray Romans 12, this part every day. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God. Why? Give your, give your tent, give your tabernacle, give your temple, give your, your flesh to God. I beg of you, give your body to God. Why? Because of all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Do you see what Paul's telling the church? The, the true way to worship God is to give up control of your body to Him. Give your body to Him. Empty yourself of yourself so that He might fill you with Himself. Don't copy the behavior <clears throat> or customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then what happens? <clears throat> then you'll be able to learn then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. 
My act of worship, true worship, must begin when I fall down on the altar before God, when I prostrate myself, and then make an offering of my life into His hands. This is my spiritual act of worship. If this is true worship, then failing to offer my body as a living and holy sacrifice would be false worship. Is anybody listening? If true worship is the death of me opening my heart for receiving Him, if that's true worship, you know what false worship is? Is believing you can worship Him without Him. It's false worship. King Herod practiced false worship. He said to the wise men, I want, I want to go and worship Him. But King Herod had a problem. He was not willing to give up his own personal kingdom to the king. And it's still true today. Church, I'm telling you, we can't worship our way. Our way won't work. We will die in our sins. And everyone wants a Savior. But He must also be our Lord and Master. And that means we fall down and we worship Him. Here's what Jesus said. Here's how He describes it in Luke 14. If you want to be my disciple, church, listen, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Now, the lost world reads that and thinks we're nuts. But the lost world is all dying. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Then he lists them. Your father? What? Your mother? Your wife? Your children? Brothers and sisters? Some of you, after having Christmas with the family, think, that's not a problem for me at all. <laughs> yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Our way won't work. The Spirit and the Bride says, come. But you must do so while the door is open to you. Today is the day of salvation. This is how the prophet Isaiah describes the urgency. Isaiah 55, he says, seek the Lord while, he, while you can find Him. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. True worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So that's a generalization of what it is to worship in spirit. But what does it mean to worship in truth? Jesus told the Samaritan woman about the truth, about the living water that would cure her thirst. And Jesus told the Samaritan woman the truth that this water would become a well of water springing up into eternal life, living water. But what was it that made her reach out and take possession of the living water? This is where the church in America is struggling. What was it? Read the story. What was it that made her reach out and drink the water? What was it? Truth. truth. He had already told her his identity, but it didn't work until he revealed to her the truth that I know everything about you, lady. I know you. You've got five husbands and you're shacking up with number six. It's called truth. He knows everything. Jesus simply revealed the truth to her. God knows and this wasn't condemnation. Truth is not condemnation. Truth is freedom. And when the church refuses to preach truth because you're afraid you're going to hurt somebody's feelings, what would Jesus do to the woman if he refused the truth because she might be offended by the five husbands comment? She would left thirsty. And so will the church. In John 8, 34, 
I tell you the truth, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son comes to your well, if the son comes to your house and offers you freedom and sets you free, then you're truly free. Jesus told her the truth. And her heart was turned to worship. Truth is not just a set of facts. Truth is a person. True worshipers accept the truth about themselves and about God. Church, listen, true worshipers, if you want to legitimately worship him in spirit and in truth, you must accept the truth about him and you must accept the truth about you. I am a sinner. And God is holy. He is perfect. My sin is my big problem. And if I die in my sin, I will be forever lost and excluded from the presence of God. I am responsible for my sin. And I will be held accountable for my sin. I must come to the truth about my sin. 1 John 1 verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. If we refuse to deal with the sin in our lives by accepting the truth that we're all sinners, we're all that woman at the well, that's us. And if you're offended by the fact that he says you've got five husbands, you're offended by the very word he speaks to save you. He says the word has no place in your hearts. It means you do not have the spirit of truth, which means you're lost. I can never truly worship God until I admit I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. I don't have any problem standing up here and telling you, I am a sinner. His light of truth has revealed the darkness of my sin. Only the thirsty, <coughs> only the thirsty revealed by the spirit of truth will ever reach out for living water. Confession of my sin leads to repentance of my sins, which leads to the forgiveness of my sins. I want to worship him. The revelation of his identity and purpose requires a response. I want to worship him, but I can't when I argue with him about sin. You cannot worship him while you're arguing with him about your sin, while you're trying to rationalize your sin. It's not worship. I must confess it. It's not like he doesn't already know. I must confess my sin. And bring it under the blood of Christ and receive his grace and forgiveness. So I close today with the last two verses of this encounter. Before the disciples return to the well with lunch. Remember the context before I read them. Here's the context. Jesus has just said, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now here comes the last two verses from this encounter. Verse 25, the woman said, I know Messiah is coming. Why is she bringing this up? I know Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. You just met him. I'm going to ask you a question. Who brought up Messiah? She did. Who brought up Christ? She did. Who brought up worship? She did. How did he do that? Truth. John 14, 6. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. The revelation of his identity requires a response. The response is called worship. And the worship is that you fall down and he raises up. 
John 8, 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples. If you remain faithful to my teaching, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The revelation of his identity, church, requires a response. How did her story end, this Gentile Samaritan woman at the well? Did she get it? She got it. If you get it, you'll meet her one day in the promised land. If you get it, you'll meet those shepherds one day in the promised land, keeping watch over their flocks at night. If you get it, you'll meet those wise men that came from the east to worship him. And if you don't get it, you won't meet anybody in the promised land. If you get it, you won't ever worry about meeting King Herod, who said he was going to come and worship the Messiah, but there was no spirit and there was no truth in him. So one last thing before we finish today. There's a verse 28. The woman left the water jar. She left the water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now, here's my final point. Shouldn't that have offended her? This man told, he brought up my past. He brought up my sin. He brought up my adultery, my affairs. He brought it all up. Now, many people would be offended by that and step away from the well. But rather than allowing that to offend her, she recognized his true identity as that he's the one that knows everything. And it took her to the living water. She left her water jar. He told her that he would satisfy her thirst from this point forward. So she's now... She's left the very reason she came to the well in the first place. And the reason I make that point is this. Some of you today need to leave your water jar and come and worship him. You need to stop trying to do it your way. It won't work. You know why? Because he knows. He knows everything. She couldn't wait to tell people around her and the Bible says many confessed their sins and they all came from the town and said, we believe that you are the Christ of God, the Savior of the world. An encounter with this man, Jesus, will do that to do. Will do that to you. You'll leave your water jar and you'll go and worship. Or there's another option, church, and I don't know which one you fit into. This encounter with this man will cause you to leave your water jar and worship. Or <clears throat> an encounter with him will leave you offended. And you'll walk away from him. When the very truth that could have set you free and given you living water and eternal life was within your reach, but you were offended by the one who knows everything. And you walk away and you will be lost. I want to worship him. Isaiah 55. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me. And you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. The revelation of his identity requires a response. <clears throat> so as the Chad comes out for the invitation, when I was a kid growing up, I was in a Christmas play, and my very mean parents made me memorize the Christmas story. And I never forgot it. And there was, in that same country, shepherds keeping watch over their flock at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel of the Lord said, do not fear, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. And if he doesn't save you, and if you don't learn how to worship him, you will be lost forever in a darkness that your mind cannot comprehend. A Savior has been born to you. And how could you be offended by him when the Savior says, I know. I know. Call your husband. All he's doing is he's trying to teach you the truth about yourself. And without him, you are lost. And those shepherds in those fields that night, they hurried. The Bible says they hurried to Bethlehem. Because this was the greatest news they'd ever heard. What? That there's peace on earth for those whom his favor rests. Did you read it? It's all over the news. Peace on earth and to those whom his favor rests. Do you know who his favor rests upon? Those who worship him in spirit and in truth, his favor's upon you because his spirit is inside of you. And you are redeemed. You are redeemed. He's not counting your sins. They've come under the blood of Christ. You're free. You're free. You're free. You're forever free. You're saved. But if you're offended by this message today, if you're offended by the fact that he brings up your sin so that you can put it under the blood, if that offends you, then you seal your own tomb. You die your own grave. You surrender your own life. We're going to sing a song. The song's an invitation. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you today, listen and drink his water. Let's stand.